Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast, where you'll get actionable tips and advice on major gifts, direct response fundraising, legacy giving, and much more from leading experts in the nonprofit sector. Giving to a cause is deeply personal. Your fundraising should be too. Unfortunately, today's nonprofits are handcuffed to outdated fundraising models that reserve personal connections for a select few major donors. Instead of creating connection, traditional impersonal tactics alienate your donors and create distance between the donor and their impact. Virtuous is the only responsive fundraising platform designed to help nonprofit teams build better donor relationships at scale. Responsive fundraising with Virtuous combines modern technology, data intelligence, and donor-centric giving experiences to foster personalized conversations with every donor. Virtuous is more than just a CRM. Virtuous unifies fundraising, marketing, and donor development activities, rids teams of redundant back-office tasks, and reveals the insights needed to deliver dynamic campaigns all in one place. Turn data into deeper donor relationships and grow your fundraising with Virtuous. To learn more about responsive fundraising with Virtuous, visit virtuous.org forward slash Rainmaker. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site. Hi, welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Olson, and I'm joined today by my co-host and partner in crime, Roy Jones. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm super excited to be here with uh, with a new friend that we've connected with over LinkedIn. So we're here today uh, with Julie Ordonez, who is the founder and CEO of Prosphora Consulting and the founder of Courage Lab. And I'm really curious to, to learn more about that. But what I know is in her work, uh, she's equipping ambitious nonprofit leaders with the courage to ask for more and to raise major gifts that make major impact. You know, not only, you know, we, we talk to a lot of consultants and some of them are just consultants, but uh, what I love about Julie's background is she's been a one person development shop and she's also been in the top 1% of fundraisers at United Way LA. So she's actually lived the work. Um, and I think that brings a whole different level of credibility and impact to uh, to her work in consulting. Julie, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. We're excited to have you here. And before uh, before we get deep into the conversation, um, I, I do just want to say I've really enjoyed uh, connecting with you on LinkedIn. And I, I realized this weekend as I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, um, why I resonate, I think, with a lot of what you say. Um, you happen to list on your LinkedIn profile your top uh, strengths finder strengths, which are activator and achiever. Mine happen to be achiever and activator. Uh, oh so I think there's gosh. there's a yin yang there. I, I get why it. I get why I feel like a connection there. So that uh, is amazing. So Andrew, what I know about you is that you're constantly exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, that is very fair. I feel like the best way to describe activator and achiever combo is that you want to do it now, right? You want to activate and yep. you want to achieve. So you want to see it through. So it has to be done now and you have to see it all the way through. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so before this becomes a therapy session, um, tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and the work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Um, I am Julie Ordonez and I am a fundraising coach and consultant. And 
uh, yeah, I am obsessed with fundraising. <laughs> um, I just think it is so awesome. Um, it is a way to get people to take action on something that they deeply care about and to connect people into the most powerful partnerships that change the world. I mean, what I get to meet amazing people. It's just, it's the most fun. I, I, I love it. I don't mind at all asking people for money. I'm just a freak of nature, I guess. I'm just, I'm fascinated by people. I'm fascinated by their dreams and what makes them tick and why they do what they do and the decisions that they make. So I help people to get over the fear of fundraising and to really wake up to the courage that they already have inside of them. Answer this question for us then. Uh, what prompted you to make the leap from a frontline fundraiser to a, a coach and a consultant? Yeah, well, it wasn't a plan. Um, okay. <laughs> to be honest, you guys. Okay. Um, I, so in 2018, I was a director of development for a really amazing national anti-poverty organization called LIFT. And I oversaw the fundraising for the LA chapter in Los Angeles. So it was the largest chapter in the nation and it was going really well and everything was great. Um, it was just time for me to move on. And I can't really explain why I just knew that it was. And for the first time in my career, I didn't have another job lined up. And so I was like, what am I doing? And even my boss at the time was like, okay, let's talk. You know, I know you're putting in your notice, but let's have coffee. Let's talk about your next steps. You know, what are you going to do next? And I was like, I don't know. I think people worried about me, you know, but then I was, as soon as I put in my notice, I had a friend who runs a nonprofit who said to me, Hey, we need to raise millions of dollars. And I know you just put in your notice. Can we hire you full time to teach us how to do this and to help us get this done? Because I need help. And I was like, absolutely. That sounds fun for sure. Because it was this team of people who were so relationally intelligent, but had no clue what to do with fundraising. So it was the perfect scenario of people who are ready to learn, ready to build relationships. They're already building relationships, right? So now they just need to learn the fundraising stuff. And uh, I had a blast doing that. And it was really successful. And in our campaign, during the public part of the campaign, uh, they raised over $5 million in just 90 days. Wow. And um, a lot of that was individuals. Most of it was actually. And they raised multiple six-figure gifts and a couple of seven-figure gifts. And so, you know, and that's really my, my world, right, is major gifts and individual giving. And um, I was like, okay, I like this teaching consulting thing, you know? So why don't I just tell people this is what I can help you with? And that's what I did. And then um, I mostly until recently, I would say until the last really four months, all of my business has been referrals, just people who know me or know someone I worked with. And now I'm getting a little more savvier with my marketing, if you will. So now I'm, I'm helping people who I don't even know. 
and are amazing and are just, you know, all over the country and, and doing incredible work. So I never planned on starting my own business. I had never thought I would be a consultant. I never, you know, I never thought that. Gone over to the dark side. Yes, we hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah, but I love it. What is it about this kind of work specifically that brings you back to it every day? I mean, it, it can be hard slogging work. What is it that draws you back to it every day though? I am personally very motivated by justice. Uh, I am very driven by that. And I am very aware that, you know, I was born in 1987 in Houston, Texas to two amazing parents and into a church community that really taught me so much about serving and loving others. I, what I'm saying is I have a ton of privilege that I did not earn. It has nothing to do with me being awesome. Right. And there are women in this world who were born the same day, the same year as me in rural Bangladesh and have a completely different life as a result of where they were born that they did not pick. And this is not fair. And much of what they go through in life is not any uh, lack of worth or um, hard work ethic or the stuff that we have control over, right? It has to do with so many injustices that are happening in the world. And in my work with nonprofit leaders who are sort of like emerging up and coming, right? They started a nonprofit, they're doing great. They're raising six figures a year. They're trying to scale to a million, right? They're really ambitious. They want to end something. They're not just like, oh, we wanna move the needle on, right? That's great but they're really saying, we wanna end this in this region of the world and we're gonna do it, right? When I talk to them, they often struggle with asking people to give big gifts. Not because they don't have donors who can give big gifts, they, they have them, right? Here's what happens. In the perfect scenario, you do a little research. You've got a donor who gives $5,000 a year. It's awesome. You do a little research working together. You find out that this donor has a private foundation that's run by their family, and they give over half a million a year. We can see the line item detail of all the gifts that they give in a year, right? They give 60K over here. They give 100K over here, and they're giving you 5K right? And I could see, Roy, you're, you're nodding your head long. I know you've been here. <laughs> I'm there every day. I know you are. And, <laughs> and then, and the donor, right? And then the qualitative stuff, right? The donor is like, I want to be more involved. I want to do more. I want to give more even, right? They're telling you this. So all signs are pointing to, they can do more than 5k. They're nearly begging you to ask them to do more than 5k. And when it comes down to it, when you're given that silver platter scenario, you have to think more about that girl in Bangladesh than you do about your own comfort level and how it will make you appear or how you might feel uncomfortable or what they might think of you if you're asking them for $25,000 or if they all of a sudden no longer want to be involved because you've offended them or all of these things that we think are going to happen, right? 
they, they, sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't, when you're talking to somebody like that, right. Mm -hmm. Who, who tells you this matters to me. I love what you're doing. I want help. And so I know Andrew that there are issues in our world that we can end in our lifetime, not because we don't know how to solve them, not because we don't have the resources, but because we lack the courage to invite people to join us in the fight. Wow. You know, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of fear out there. There's a lot of assumptions I think people make uh, about donors. What are some of them that, that you think are just absolutely right? And what are some of them that are just absolutely categorically wrong, wrong, wrong? You know, when you talk to people, talk to us about that. Uh, I love this question because um, there are so many assumptions, <laughs> like the assumption that your donors don't care as much as you. Mm. I think a lot of nonprofit leaders, if they're really honest, they think that they have a monopoly on caring about their cause and their mission. Nobody cares more than me. Nobody sacrifices more than me. And so you believe those things and then you relate to your donors from that place of them caring less and sacrificing less. Mm. Um, Well, that shifts shifts the whole conversation, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Then it's about us, not the donor. And that's right. You know, when you believe that nobody cares as much as you and no one will sacrifice as much as you, then you, you make sure that that happens. <laughs> and then that leads to burnout because you have to be, you have to confirm these assumptions and these beliefs that you have about yourself and what it means to do what you do. Um, another one is that donors are maxed out. They're maxed out. And that really, that assumption comes from your own personal experiences and belief about money, about what is a lot of money, right? If you think personally, you, would, you couldn't imagine giving $100,000 to anything, much less to charity, right? Because that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But to some people, you know, that's less than what they spend on their mortgage in just a few months. It, right, it's relative. And a way to really counteract that is I think nonprofit leaders have so much control over this. You know, like I, I mentioned the, the young woman in Bangladesh, right? I've never been to Bangladesh. I don't need to even go there or to experience what she experiences in order to empathize with her, in order to be moved to compassion. The same can be true for our donors. We can empathize with them and put ourselves in their shoes if we choose to. So even though $100,000 seems like a lot to me, If I think about, okay, the numbers that my donor is looking at every day are like 10x the numbers that I'm looking at every day, right? Both personally in, you know, my bank account, but also professionally in the work numbers, right? If they're in corporate America and they're a C-suite executive, let's say, or a partner at a firm, 
the numbers that they're looking at are huge. Right. So to them, they're like, oh yeah, what, Roy, what did I give you last year? $5,000? I just can't remember. Can you remind me? You know, it's like well, these things, we make them like you said. We, make we, it we, we assume they see the, even the ask amount the same way we do. And that's just a wrong assumption. Uh, to your point, they see the money very differently. They don't see it the same way. That's uh, right. And, and also, you know, a really relevant assumption is that donors are struggling financially through this pandemic. They are. Did they tell you that? Uh, How do you know? Right? Maybe we make that assumption so that we can get off the hook of having to ask them. I think that's, that's huge, right? Because there are some donors that are struggling. Absolutely. If you look at, at the average donor file, yes, you're going to have some people who typically gave you $20 occasionally who are struggling because they gave to you out of their cash, right? But if we look at the, um, the equities market and what assets have done since the pandemic, largely people who have much of their wealth in assets are doing very well. That's so it's, right. it's not only are these donors not doing poorly, they're not even doing average compared to the last couple of years. They're That's doing right. very well. That's right. And because just to be really bold, because that's my style. (laughs) That's um, what we like. Yep. I think nonprofits are addicted to scarcity. We don't have enough funding. We don't have enough staff. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough time. We're that doesn't serve us. And so we project that onto the donor, right? That they don't have enough, that they're just as stressed or just as worried or And when we stay in that place, we can't actually have the space and the creativity to get to know people. You listen, like stop making assumptions and just listen and ask questions. You're probably going to enjoy your job more too, if you do that, you know, like, so I think we have to choose to see possibility and resource within the people who are around us already. Wow. You know, one of the things that I saw just uh, reading some things is that uh, the phrase about leaving money under the table. (laughs) What do you mean by that? How do we help fix this? Um, I've used the the term leaving money on the table by not asking for the right amount. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is a little different uh, term. And again, it kind of comes back to the uh, assumptions and and, uh, perceptions problem that a lot of fundraisers have. Yeah, for sure. Well, you can leave money on the table for sure. You can. Um, And I talk about that too. Uh, Leaving money under the table, it just means the people at the table with you, your current donors are your major donor prospects. That's the, one of the most common questions that I get asked, where do I find major donors? Right. Mm -hmm. I'm sure both of you have been asked this a thousand times. That special list that we never let anybody look at. That's that's where you find it. The secret black book. I have it right here. Oh my gosh. And and that's so far from the truth, right? Your $25 donors could be your major donors, and they probably are. You just take them for granted. You don't take the time to get to know them, ask them questions. Why do you give um, research who the heck they are, even? 
what do they do? Why, why are they even involved? How'd they find you? Um, so getting to know your donors and doing some research, that's the key to one of the keys to raising more money and stop looking out there, right out there. Oh, I know there's some funding out there. There is, you know, and no, it isn't, it's not out there. No, you, the unrestricted funding that you need is the people who are sitting at the table with you right now and you keep overlooking them and uh, stop doing that. <laughs> stop yeah. it. Just stop. Just start being grateful for the donors that you do have and take a closer look. You know, it's, it's interesting when you say that on the direct response fundraising side, you know, direct mail, digital, things like that. We, we know that there's this like, you know, addiction to acquisition, right? always going after new people because we're not investing in our operations and our relationship development. And so we're not retaining enough of them. So we're spending a ton of money and effort and focus on acquisition, That's but, right. but it's also happening the further up the pyramid we get. Um, it, it's like we take that perspective with us as relationships grow and as revenue increases, and it's still never good enough to focus on the people who are sitting at the table with you when they could probably fund your entire operation for a couple of years, if you just you would invest the time and effort in it. Absolutely. Hmm. And I tell my clients, I say, look, I know you want to get new donors. It's great. Let's get you some new donors. But first, before we do that, if you try to focus on getting new donors right now, you're just going to create a longer list of people who end up leaving you because you, you yep. can't keep the ones you have. That's why you're obsessed with getting new. So let's focus on creating a better donor experience for the ones you have. Let's do that, yeah. right? Let's improve the quality or we try to bring in more quantity, right? You, it's like the, the scripture in, in the book of Matthew. I mean, I'm getting biblical on you here, okay? If you can handle a little bit, you can handle more. If you can't handle the little bit that you have, if you cannot keep your donors, what makes you think you have any business getting more? <laughs> Brilliantly said. And, and what Roy will say is, if we go out and raise more major gifts, then you won't have to scrimp and save and go you know, search under the couch cushions to fund acquisition. You'll have plenty of money to go do that once you've built those relationships and you're generating significant revenue from major donors. Absolutely. So I, I think there's an argument to be made there too. So let's go back to basics for a minute, Julie. You know, I think we've all probably done this enough uh, and worked with enough fundraisers to, to nod our heads when I say that, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who will sit at their desk and you know, when, when you ask what progress they've made with their portfolio in the last 10 days or 10 minutes, uh, you'll get a response that says something like, well, you know, our case for support just isn't where it needs to be right now. Or, oh man, I, that brochure that we need for donors is at the printer again because we had to make some changes. I had to update that, that brochure or you know, any number of excuses for why people aren't out um, scheduling visits, meeting with donors, having those valuable conversations, building relationships and making asks. What do you make of that and how do we fix it? I think when I am delaying something I know I need to get done, one of my favorite things to do is update my website. <laughs> um, 
you know, perfecting my copy on my website or, you know, updating that email sequence or, you know, like getting on Instagram or social media and posting something or all of these things are some of my favorite ways to procrastinate or even pursuing perfection um, in order to delay what I know I must do. Let me just edit my website instead of getting on the phone with people. And I don't think you have to be an extrovert or even somebody who is, you know, the kind of person who just wants to pick up the phone and call people and check in, you know, like, hey, I'm just checking in. And, you know, some people aren't like that. And that's fine. I don't don't think you have to be that way to be successful, but you do have to be willing to be visible and to be known and to get to know people. And you can do that in your own way and leverage your own strengths in doing that. Something that I teach my clients in Courage Lab is in order to build a culture of generosity, one of the key tenets of that is ownership. That you need to own the fact that it is personal. It's not some external thing as to why you haven't raised more money. It's personal. You haven't raised more money, right? One of the things that people will say is, well, we just need a strategic plan. We need a plan. We need a strategy. We need a plan, right? We don't have a good enough plan. (laughs) And, And that not having a plan allows you, it's the perfect justification to, to not actually have to raise money. Because as long as you don't have a plan, then you don't have to go ask people for money. Yeah, that could take you three years. Oh my gosh, it is. It, I mean, we gotta we gotta do an RFP process where we get the right people in here to do it, and you know, it's a whole it's a whole thing. And you know, it it really comes down to take ownership of the fact that you don't want to fundraise. Own that. Say it. The reason that I don't do it is because I don't want to. That is one of the most brave things that a nonprofit CEO could say. I don't do this because I don't want to. I don't do this because I don't like it. I don't, I don't like doing, I don't like what I think fundraising is. And so people aren't willing to just get real. (laughs) You want to blame it on all these fancy bells and whistles or the tech or the, your, your database needs to be scrubbed and it's, you know, you don't have good data or all these things people say, right. Um, Or you don't know how, right. I don't know how to raise major gifts. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to say. I can't do that. Well, how do you know how to do anything that you do? (laughs) You learned how to do it because you wanted to learn how to do it. So it really does come down to you don't you don't want you don't want to you're unwilling right you're you're putting your own preferences and comfort above the mission and what needs to get done and in some cases you need to grow up you need to realize that you made a contract with yourself and with the people who hired you to do this job and that part of it is going out and asking people for gifts Boy, it is, you know, owning it is not easy. I have to tell my team often and remind them that, that uh, 
you know, picking up that phone, sending those emails, chase, chase, chase. You know, you reach out to, and I'm the kind of person, I usually have to talk to 10 to get three to sit down with me. Uh, I have some others on my team. They talk to 10, they get 10 meetings. I'm not that guy. <laughs> and again, I, I wish I could say that the fear, the hesitation, um, after 30 something years of doing this goes away. It doesn't go away for me. I fight it every week and then do it anyway. Wow. Um, um, what uh, what do you see others? I mean, how do they over how do you overcome this or you just keep grinding through it, uh, knowing, as you said, you've got a you made a deal. Talk about those issues. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't judge anybody who is afraid because I've definitely been afraid. And I mean, it's it's normal. Like it's not something to judge yourself about. Like, oh, I shouldn't be afraid. And I think I love that you shared that, Roy, because the more that you grow in your career and in your profession and in this space and the the larger gifts that you end up asking for, you know, $10,000 or $50,000 doesn't seem as big as it once did. But now asking for 10 million, that feels a lot riskier. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that as you grow, you just have a new level that now you, you're overcoming the fear of that, right? And sometimes fundraisers are afraid to ask for money because they just don't really ask for much of anything. Wait, right? say that again. <laughs> fundraisers are sometimes afraid to ask for money because they are afraid to ask for anything. <laughs> A lot of my clients in Courage Lab struggle to ask for help. One of my clients who he had to break his leg in an accident before he was willing to receive help from friends and family. He had to be completely like stuck at home and not able to go anywhere or do anything before he allowed people to help. And he's also raising money and supposed to be asking on behalf of his organization, right? And that he's doing a youth mentorship program. Um, he's asking on behalf of these kids and he has to be, that muscle of asking is the same muscle it's the same one. And, and we want to make fundraising so professional, right? But it's not. It's, it's just as personal. It's more personal. If you suck at asking for help, you might also suck at asking for money. <laughs> They're connected. Like it's the same you. It's not a different you. It's you. So the, the, one of the challenges I give them is have a difficult conversation you've been putting off. I don't care if it's professional. I don't care if it's personal. I don't care if you need to call your mother, call your mother-in-law. Who do you need to talk to <laughs> that maybe you've been putting off resolving something? And that helps them raise more money doing that exercise. Yeah. Because then one of my clients last week, she's okay, there's a donor I've been putting off calling. And I don't think it's going to go good. She referred to this donor as someone who is sort of tough, like is a tough don't. I mean, we all have tough donors, but this person, she said, is a little bit aggressive sometimes. And I'm not sure if she likes me or what she thinks of us. And she said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. 
And she picks up the phone after our coaching call and she calls the donor and asks her to give $10,000. And she says, yes. <laughs> and it went so well. She said it went so well, this call. And here is somebody who she thought was going to give nothing and who she was counting out and was, was planning on not even really reaching out to. I think it's how you really overcome that fear is you just start doing things that are uncomfortable in lower risk situations that are sort of like baby step on ramp. You know, okay, fine. If you struggle to ask, ask a favor of your spouse or your partner and say, hey, you know, I know it's my turn to do the dishes. Can you do them? <laughs> you know, or something. <laughs> ask for something, you know, and make that a practice in your life. Do get around other people who are also asking for more, who are building the guts to do what must be done and take action in doing that. When you get around people like that, it will make you more courageous. Yeah, the, the whole experience you're describing, um, I love the Courage Lab concept. Um, it's interesting to me. I mean, you, you're talking about uh, not a pitch. Uh, you're talking about a conversation you have with people. And, uh, and, and those, are, those are the best kinds of, of ask I think to have. Um, uh, talk to me about that. I mean, it, it, it really is about having a conversation and, and uh, finding out what people, um, or where their passion is, and then you know, aligning the charity's need with where the donor's passion already is. Talk, talk to me about that conversation. What's it feel like? One of the, the tools in um, Courage Lab is like my powerful questions cheat sheet because I just love really great questions. And there is an author, oh my gosh, his name is escaping me, Carrie Newhoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he says in his book, I forget the name of the book. I think it's one of his, his best-selling books. Um, and he says, if you listen longer than anyone else, then you will hear things that no one else hears. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with donors and they say, well, I've never told anyone this, dot, 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 right? Mm -hmm. And if you are willing to ask questions and really get to know people, I, I'm just fascinated by it. There's a whole universe within one person. And you know, you can build such powerful partnerships. And when you truly care about somebody enough to get to know them, they will show up for you. They will help you move mountains. One of my favorite things to ask a donor is, what's your personal mission in life? And how can I help you achieve that mission? Even if it's outside of, of the organization and the cause that I'm right, working on, how can I help you achieve your mission? A lot of fundraisers feel like they're coming to a donor and they are, the donor is in the position of power. I'm coming to you as the fundraiser and I'm asking you for money. Sometimes it feels like I'm begging, right? Because there's a high need. We've got to make payroll. We've got to meet our goals and our metrics. What's that scarcity mindset again? That's right. And the, and the goal and that number is running your head is running the situation. And that's just, you're setting yourself up for failure. 
because when you really build authentic relationships and you're curious about people, usually what opens up will supersede your goals. Your goals become irrelevant. I love that question. <laughs> I just love getting well, to know people. And I, I think it's really but, but I love the concept here. I mean, to, to be a better listener, ask better questions. Um, it really is. And that's, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I've met this um, great salesperson. She's, you know, sells uh, uh, cars and she's, you know, the industry's uh, top salesperson. I've met this other uh, guy and, and he is the best talker. He gives the best presentations. My response has been, don't hire him. And, and, and they said, why? Won't they be great fundraisers? Great fundraisers are just what you you said, Julie. The the people that learn how to be the great listener. Um, yeah, well, it's easy to understand that if you don't have time to listen, then after a while you won't have anybody to listen to. So you you need to make the time. You can't afford to not listen. Yeah, it's a great point. So <clears throat> we're getting close on time, um, but I have two more questions for you. The first one is. Think about the folks that are listening right now who are, you know, this is resonating for them, but they're not really sure where to go next. What, what are one or two kind of concrete recommendations or steps that you can give them to, to help them become more effective in their fundraising? If I could instill one habit, if I could just put one habit into every fundraiser, it would be to spend 10 minutes at the top of every day calling donors. Hmm. Yes, picking up the phone and calling them. <laughs> um, that would be my number one tip. If you can build that habit of just 10 minutes of, of calling people and finding an excuse to check in with them, whether that's, you know, you have an event coming up and you wanted to see if they're planning on coming or you wanted to get their feedback on the last campaign that you did, or if you need a reason, right, other than just I'm checking in, then make up a reason. You can find one, right? Um, but I would say that. And then this other one is sort of like a two-pronger. <laughs> you need to stop trying to do this alone. Um, you need to get in a community of people who are also prioritizing getting better and raising more money. Um, and I would recommend that you get some training. You get a coach, you take a course. If, if you think you have a gift of writing and you could get better if you took a copywriting course, then do that. Um, and if you're a CEO or a leader or you have say over the professional development budget, I would recommend that you really invest in your employees and that you give them a, a substantial amount for them to constantly be learning and growing uh, because the world is changing all of the time and your people are your most important resource that you will ever have. And so you got to invest in them and they're worth it. <laughs> so I, I would say, yeah, community, coach, training, whatever it looks like for you. Don't try to do it alone and call donors every day. Love that. All right. So here's where I want to end for the day with us. Um, I would love for you to tell us a story of uh, a tentative CEO or fundraiser who you've worked with in the recent past 
um, and and give give our listeners hope for the kind of impact that we're talking about. Like, tell us a story of somebody that came in and thought, oh, I could never talk to donors. I could never do this work and came out of that coaching and, and training and, and now is just doing great work and being successful at, at, in their role. Share some something like that with us. I have a client, his name is Chris, and he had started out, he's been in the nonprofit world, sort of on the program side, actually, but, but recently this organization, their, their school in Southern California, and they are growing their development team. And so he took over the role of development director, but really has very little experience doing fundraising. And we worked together and I trained him and he text messages me all the time. A donor just came and dropped off $20,000. And this donor is going to give six figures this year. And this donor, you know, Julie, I love when they say the word we, when they're talking about her. <laughs> and he's just so excited and he loves doing his job. And he's been doing fundraising for less than two years <laughs> and is killing it. And uh, they're going to exceed their goals and um, continue to grow. And he had no previous knowledge or experience and was just completely open to learning and building relationships. And he basically just did everything I told him to do. So those are the best clients anyway. Just do what I say. Okay. And it's going to go good. Okay. And that's what happened. And I think he is changing the culture of the organization and influencing the leaders. And, you know, you feel like maybe your boss isn't listening to you. Well, raise more money. They'll listen. It's a great point. My experience. Uh, and, and you, you start to really build influence and credibility with your board with your team members in your community, when you raise more money, it changes the whole game. It changes everybody's situation and your organization. It changes the whole organization. So he's someone who went from zero to is now doing amazing work and building really strong relationships and partnerships. And as a result, people are bringing him impromptu five and six figure gifts. That's beautiful. Awesome. Well, Julie, it's been great to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Um, how do people reach you if they want to connect, want to learn more, want to work with you? Yeah. So I love being on LinkedIn and Instagram. Those are my spaces. Um, and then you can also go to my website, julieordonez.com, O-R-D-O-N-E-Z, um, and say hi on LinkedIn, say hi on Instagram, wherever it is that you hang out. Um, I would love to connect with you. Awesome. Thanks again for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. Please take a moment to rate this episode on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. When you rate this episode, it will help more nonprofit leaders just like you to help find us and get the information that they need to raise more funds for their organization. Thanks again for listening today.